HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to 2016. We're back on Eat Your Words. I'm your host, Kathy Arroway. This is Heritage Radio Networks, uh, the first show of 2016. Um, so hope everyone had a great holiday. And um, my guest today actually tells me that there's a thing called Vegan January that is uh, going around in the food world, uh, maybe just to cleanse from all the holiday richness. But I think that I'm going to to have a different type of January and one that has a lot of pasta. <laughs> Because uh, my guest is Nancy Jenkins. She is the chef owner of Porchetta in New York City. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, it's Sarah Jenkins. Um, yikes, yikes. I knew that. Um, it's Sarah Jenkins, a chef owner of Porchetta and Porcena in New York City. And she has co-written The Four Seasons of Pasta with her mom, Nancy Jenkins. So thank you com- for coming on, Sarah. Thank you for having me. And uh, congrats on this book. I have to say, also, your first book, Olives and Oranges, mm-hmm. is like hands down one of my very favorite cookbooks oh, that's of all time. That's I mean, I, it's like your palate and your recipes is so, like, gets me in the best way possible. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's great. So tempting. Um, <laughs> and your, of course, your restaurants are really delicious, too. Thank so. you. Thank you. Um, I was really excited about this cookbook. It is an ode to pasta. Yes. And um, you grew up in Tuscany. I grew up in Roman and Tuscany. Okay. A little bit of both. So, but you write a bit that, um, you know, there's many different iterations of pasta. Um, and back- Well, 
Right. Okay, go, go, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that's really interesting to me, I guess, is when I first moved to America, there was only Italo-American food. And then there was sort of this northern Italian cuisine, and we spend a lot of time talking about Italian cuisine, and I felt like I grew up eating Italian yeah. cuisine. But the more time that I spend in Italy um, and the more time I spend observing the food, I think that actually there's no such thing as Italian food. Uh-huh. It still remains stunningly regional. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and of course food changes. We all think of food as kind of this, well, this is the traditional way, that's the way it must always be. But I always sort of say, well, you know, if you want Italian food to be traditional, then you got to take away tomatoes and beans and corn because all of that came from the New World and sure. didn't exist, you know, prior to the 1500s. Um, so food's constantly changing. Totally. Uh, you know, today in Italy, you eat risotto up and down mm. the entire peninsula and even in Sicily. Um, I don't think... Risotto wasn't traditionally something eaten outside of rice-growing regions before. Or what about polenta before corn? Polenta, exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, they say that that farro, which is a super ancient grain, that the Romans made similar things to polenta, okay. but with farro and possibly even with lentil flour. Mm-hmm. So um, now, how far back does pasta go? Because you do say with with like a firm conviction that it was not Marco Polo coming back from China, right? No, it was definitely not Marco Polo. Um, there's a lot of some people will say that it was the Arab influence. My mother is a huge believer that it was the Greeks, who, of course, we forget, but. Sicily was a Greek colony for, I don't know, 150, 200 years before mm-hmm. the Romans ever even existed. I see. Um, and one of the things that stunned me to find out was that Greek, Greek was a language spoken in Sicily well into maybe as much as 800 AD. Okay. Um, so those traditions ran strong. Right. And it is somewhat universal. You mentioned that maybe it was just sort of bread or some sort of dough sitting around that somebody decided to drop in water just for the heck of it, right. see what'll happen. Uh, right. And then, um, I mean, I suppose the beauty of pasta, or certainly in its dried form, is that it's a it's a shelf stable product, right? right? And right. you can you can make it when you've got lots of wheat, and you can mm-hmm. save it for when you don't have any wheat. Um, and that's why I think maybe that's why one of the reasons it is so, it has become so universally beloved because it's convenient. It's and- it's incredibly convenient, you know. And there have been some great books about pasta come out in the past uh, year or so, but most of them talk about fresh pasta, which you know is an incredible treat. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we were really trying to get at here is that a box of pasta, I always say my desert island food is a box of pasta, Uh a bottle of olive oil, and a clove of garlic, right? And I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, What we're really trying to get at here is that dried pasta, which is what your average Italian consumes on a regular daily basis, with the exception of maybe a place like Bologna, Mm. where people run out to buy fabulously made fresh pasta, at little shops, and that's every a misconception, day. right? That uh, you know, there's more fresh pasta nowadays, or that yes. was more old-fashioned, perhaps. When... Not really. I don't think so. I think mm-hmm. fresh pasta, again, always with exceptions, remains more special occasion food. And box pasta, box pasta, and dried pasta came out of the south. Oh, okay. and there's a lot of evidence that it was the migration, the post World War II migration of Southerners up into the north that really carried dried pasta to be everywhere. But today, I don't think you could go into an Italian house and not find boxes Box of pasta. pasta. Yeah, same as here. <laughs> same as here, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it really took off, and um, I guess, you know, it seems that spaghetti, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, as it's commonly sort of summarized as right. um, in America, is like just one of the most oldest... Uh, you know, embraced ethnic food, quote unquote, um, that we eat here. Yeah, probably, it's, probably. It's, um, it's, you know, again, for me, it's like this, just this incredibly uh, convenient thing. Like mm-hmm. I come home with a bag of greens or I rustle about the fridge and there's a little leftover this or that. Mm-hmm. And I have dried pasta in the, in the in the pantry. And lo and behold, I can put actually a decent, uh, meal on the table. Yeah, like so. You mentioned earlier the just garlic and uh, olive, oil. olive oil. Yeah, I mean the first recipe in here is spaghetti aglio olio pepperoncini, uh-huh. and it's just a little sprinkle of pepper flakes. Right, right, and but, yeah, a little parsley maybe. Yeah, so satisfying. And I can tell you, I have come home on numerous occasions, either to Italy or to here, after a long flight and, you know, many, or whatever, many hours of travel, and there's mm-hmm. nothing to eat. There is always aglio, olio and pepperoncino, mm-hmm. and it's, and you're happy. I was surprised by so many walnuts in the, the winter recipes uh-huh. in particular. I hadn't huh. tried that before. Um, I don't know. I guess it's <laughs> just kind of a, it seemed like somewhat seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The walnuts are generally Earthy. in season in December. True, um, true. And they add texture, and they're really tasty. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so... This this book is so diverse in terms of the recipes. Uh-huh. Not all of them are sauces, I guess, per right, se. Right, right. And certainly not all tomato sauces. Right. No, are. not at all. Well, the whole... I, I mean, I love tomato sauce. I, I actually... You know, pasta with tomato sauce, it's the one dish that I insisted that my child learn to eat so mm-hmm. that whenever we go to Italy, there was something for him to eat in a restaurant. Um, <clears throat> and it is, to this day, probably my biggest comfort food. Uh, at the same time, there's a whole world outside of tomato. I know. I know. And I love that, um, you know, this book is broken into seasons. So you get to play around with seasonal ingredients, which you also mentioned, you know, it's seasonal ingredients vary from region to region based on where you are. But in a nutshell. Right. Right. You know, well, it's, you know, again, it's how I grew up thinking about food. I Mm -hmm. mean, in Italy, food just was seasonal in uh in the late 70s in Rome, I don't think we really got tomatoes in the winter. Like I they see. just didn't come up. You didn't have cans? We had canned tomatoes, okay. but you didn't buy fresh tomatoes. I and see. orange season had a specific time. Sure. Um, and that's just the way it was. And to this day in Italy, there's still certain things that do not go outside of the seasons, fava beans being a great example. That's true. Um, spring and so it's true that you can make pasta pomodoro with canned tomatoes throughout the whole year as i do Mm -hmm. um but you can't make pasta with tiny burst cherry tomatoes fresh from the farmer's market i always think that it's such a shame to make canned tomato sauce in the summer when you can get the fresh tomatoes yeah 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 it doesn't it's not quite right right yeah (laughs) and tomato season here is never long enough you Mm -hmm. know i um by the time spring rolls around, if I don't see another turnip for six months, I'm going to be really <laughs> happy. And I don't ever feel that way about tomatoes. Yeah, I know. Um, so hopefully some some folks have canned their tomatoes right. from last season. Yeah, you can also buy really great Italian canned tomatoes, San Marzano. Of course, like every product coming out of Italy, you have to really know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, to have a real San Marzano 
tomato. It has to be. There's a San Marzano uh, cooperative, no, consortium, and it has to have a stamp on it. It has to be numbered and all of this. I think we talk about that pretty extensively. Yeah, you do. It can't just say San Marzano because sometimes they're lying. Right. There's actually a can of tomatoes that we all love very much because they have a really beautiful logo. (laughs) Um, It's kind of, I think it's blue and white stripes and then kind of the San Marzano shape. Yeah, yeah. Red on a white thing. I don't know where those tomatoes come from, but they're not actually San Marzano. That's horrible. Um, um, you have a lot of actually helpful, like sort of pantry tips and a little encyclopedia too. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the difference between the generic store bought, I don't know, Barilla pasta and some of the fancier ones okay. that we've been seeing. Right. So, um, you know, again, when I was a kid in Italy, pretty much there was only Barilla. I'm going to assume that maybe in the South, because some of these pasta makers have been going continuously, they were still, you know, since the 1860s, it mm-hmm. was still there. Okay. But we didn't really, you didn't see it. Nobody was talking about okay. it. Okay. And then along about the early 80s, there was this guy, Carlo Latini, who started putting out a pasta where he, he was growing his own wheat. He was uh, using bronze dyes. So the big Barilla uses Teflon dyes because it's cleaner and, and faster. And that's the thing that squeezes the extruder. Okay, exactly. Right. The extruder, that they push the pasta through. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the Teflon is quicker and faster, but it also makes for a smoother pasta. Yes, um, it is smooth. Right. So when you put it through the bronze dye, it has a rougher texture. I love that. Which sticks to the sauce much, much yeah. better. Yeah. And then the other big difference is the timing of the drying of it. Barilla um, kind of heat blasts. At Barilla, um, DiCecco, all those kind of mm-hmm. big people. Ronzoni. Um, Ronzoni, for sure. <laughs> I'm not sure Ronzoni is even Italian. Okay. So, but, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and uh, so they, they blast it very quickly with heat and you know, package it up and everything moves mm-hmm. very quickly in their factory. These artisanal makers tend to slow dry the pasta okay. over any much as 36 to 48 hours. Ah. And again, it gives the flavor better. Mm-hmm. It allows it to dry a little bit slower. <clears throat> slower. And, and all of that contributes to the texture I and see. the flavor. And also, a lot of times they're really researching their wheat. You know, oh, okay. There's this guy, Rusticella d'Abruzzo, that we talk about in there, and he's gone back to raising a specific wheat in the Abruzzi because, you know, for a long time, the pasta makers in Italy bought their wheat from Russia and America. Mm. Um, we were the huge wheat exporters. Okay. And then, again, kind of with this whole artisanal movement, first they start making the pasta, you know, differently or promoting how the old-fashioned way of making the pasta. And then they start looking, of course, at their wheat Interesting. So the artisanal movement is somewhat newer. Um, Again... But, of course, there was a small, like, village producer. Right. I mean, there was, you know, there's a town south of Naples called Gragnano, which Mm -hmm. is famous going back to the industrialization of pasta making um, in, let's say, somewhere between 1820 and 1860. It has definitely continuously been making pasta since then. But we certainly never... Saw it, heard of it, thought of it, you know, uh-huh. we all happily consume Brilla. Of course, I'm going to say that Brilla in 1970 probably wasn't the giant that it is today. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to slag Brilla at all because it's still a great pasta. Um, and it's what you would find in most it's Italian houses. Different. It's texture. Just, yeah. Yes. I would, I would rather eat an artisanal pasta mm-hmm. for sure. Preference. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn my nose up at Brilla yeah, yeah. ever. Yeah, and um, and then we have like the the fresh pasta, the sfog- 
Sfoglia? Uh, well, sfoglia is the is the actual sheet of pasta. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I learned to make fresh pasta from my neighbor in Tuscany, right? Mm-hmm. She had a very basic recipe that involved six whole eggs and some water, a certain amount of flour, kneaded it, blah, blah, blah. And when we were doing this book, I started looking at the famous tagliolini from Piemonte that they make to go with the... Um, with white truffle. <laughs> and there, they're traditionally trying to put as much as 30 kilos, uh, 30 egg yolks into a kilo, about two pounds of flour. Bon. And it, it makes a completely different dough. But I started realizing that's like a luxury dough, right? Yes. Because a farmhouse woman, eggs are a luxury. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got chickens and they're laying, but are they going to lay tomorrow? Is mm-hmm. the fox going to eat them all? You don't. Mm-hmm. It's still, you know. So you're not you're not just going to go hog wild and throw yeah. thirty egg yolks and then throw the egg whites out into your pasta. Um, yeah, that seems a little non traditional, right? So. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then in the South, there is a tradition of fresh pasta, but that's made more traditionally with durum wheat flour and water, mm. right? And it's durum wheat flour makes a harder, tougher dough, I would say. Yeah. Also kind of a more flavorful dough, I think, ultimately. Mm. But all that tradition of orecchiette, and they have all these crazy, you know, hand-rolled around a... Cavatelli thing. Cavatelli. Okay. Uh, macaroni rolled around a wire, um, mm, all kinds rare. of stuff. Okay. Most of that, of course, goes back to a society where women didn't work outside of the house. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> their job all day was to make food, buy food, you know. Right, right. Um, so that's where fresh pasta is. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and my neighbor in Tuscany, fresh pasta was a harvest mm-hmm. treat, a yeah. Sunday family meal treat. Um, it certainly wasn't every day. Oh no, yeah. I, I'm. I'm. Sure, the few times I have made fresh pasta, uh-huh. it is an ordeal. So. It, it is. I mean, it's I'm just... a. I like to say I'm a highly skilled professional, uh-huh. and, and I don't sit around and no. make pasta, fresh pasta, very no, often. No. You know, you get flour all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk more about your brilliant recipes, but we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break okay. and be right back. All right. We're back chatting more with Sarah Jenkins, owner of Porcena, Porchetta, and the co-author of The Four Seasons of Pasta. Um, This is one of the most delicious books I've ever looked through, and I actually made one of your recipes last night. 
It was, but I changed it up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I encourage that. Always. Good. Good. It seemed like it. Cause I mean, you're, you're, you start by talking about this beet green dish. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, Tell me mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, was that the inspiration for this book? It was the inspiration for this book. Okay. It was just, you know, we'd been out visiting somebody and we came home and we're tired. And, you know, again, it's that sort of rummage around the fridge. Uh-huh. What's in there? Oh, look, the here's a bag of a bunch of, of beets. <laughs> right. And oh, we've got some bacon and mm-hmm. hey, we've got pasta. We've mm-hmm. got a meal. Perfect. Yeah, that that. I'm totally going to do that sometime because I always have some random greens. Um, but last night I made, you had a swordfish and olive pasta. Mm-hmm. And I had some salmon. So I did that instead. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it was so good. Well, I have to say one of the one of the great frustrations for me with writing recipes and writing cookbooks mm-hmm. is the sort of need to be so specific when I really don't want anybody to be specific because it's always really intimidating. If you have to go out and buy 18 ingredients that you've never used to make a dish. Yeah. yeah. And I really, I always try to communicate like, please, you know, if you don't have watercress, use arugula or vice versa. Um, Yeah. I I can definitely tell that throughout these recipes in the way that you describe them, too. You know, like we had some beet greens, for example, and, um, you know, some beans, pantry. Right. My uh, I'm hugely fond of any kind of green and any kind of sort of Mm. meat. Pancetta, guanciale, bacon, Jesus, smoked ham hock would probably Mm -hmm. do it. Spicy lamb Uh, sausage. uh, Yeah. Anything, you know, and it's. That's a huge part of the Mediterranean diet, I think, where, Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's a diet that comes out of privation and poverty and not a whole lot of access to meat. Mm -hmm. And small bits of meat are used Mm -hmm. to give richness and flavor to something. Yes. Um, And and that's like the magic formula for so many great pastas. mm -hmm. uh, I love that you write, you know, what do you do when you only have one kilo of of meat, say like ground pork, and you're feeding eight people. Right. Well, you make a ragu sauce, right? Right, and you. Well, it's what hamburger helper is, yeah, really, that's right? True, that's Pasta. True. I mean, yeah, I, the ratio of, and you can change and adjust it as you feel. Mm-hmm, you know, the, mm-hmm. but the ratio of vegetables to perhaps some legumes and grains, right? It could be anything, but right. yeah. And I guess if there's one thing I'm really. Uh, trying to always stress too is Italians eat pasta for the pasta Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. almost more than for the sauce and we as Americans tend to completely flood the pasta with (laughs) way too much sauce right (laughs) so again that ties into like really making a little bit go a long way with essentially a cheap ingredient you oh know? my gosh! Now that I remember it, like it, when I was growing up, when I was little, and I have to say something about the universality of pasta. As an aside, my mom is um, from Taiwan. She right, and and spaghetti was one of the first dishes she actually liked in America because uh-huh, it's uh-huh. you know it's just something universal about <laughs> right, noodles. Right. Anyway, um, but we used to just pour the marinara sauce on top of each plate. Right. Of, right. Like right, cooked right. pasta. And and yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you just toss it and then you just. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> You're like, yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, I hate the whole foodie thing of this is the right way to eat uh-huh, anything. Like uh-huh. the only right way to eat anything is like what makes you happy. Right. You right. know? And and I can tell that there's a lot of dishes. Well, there's some that look pretty classic. Uh, there's a duck ragu, for mm-hmm, instance. Mm-hmm. Um, a great, you know, meatball recipe here and there. But um, none of these struck me as like. <laughs> 
Okay, here's an example. Pasta a la carbonara. But, like, is there one right way to make it? Or? Oh, my God. If you ask Romans, yes. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> but then they'll probably, each Roman will be slightly different. Uh. I mean, there's certain things like, um, I, you know, I actually sometimes like to throw a little parsley. I've even been known to throw greens in my, par- in my carbonara. carbonara. That's completely forbidden. That's, uh. cra- that's crazy. <laughs> um there are certain things that I would really roll my eyes at with mm-hmm. carbonara, like adding cream to it, um, things mm-hmm. like that, that I've seen people who are not from Rome do. Because uh, it should be what, butter? Nope. It's oh, just, geez, it's the it's the fat from the either the pancetta or the guanciale okay. and the uh, maybe a egg. little olive oil and the egg mm-hmm. and the cheese. Mm-hmm. Um I've been known to throw scallions in there. I really like it, oh, you know. So what, what? What? Shoot me, you know. <laughs> it's not Roman. <laughs> well, most of the dishes in here aren't these like strict formula or famous recipes, I should say. Right. Right. Although they may be. Right. What about lasagna verde? Is that a classic? Um, I would say that's pretty classic. That's classic. Yeah. Okay. And the nudie. This the, looks right. delicious. I mean, the nudie are one of those things you find. You find them in Tuscany. I found them called malfatti in other mm-hmm, regions. Mm-hmm. Again, it's kind of like you've got some cheese, you've got some flour, you've got some greens. Let's, Let's make, make a dumpling. dumpling. Let's cook it up. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, but they look so so rustic and just so right. I, I love those actually. Um, I love that you have a sweet potato gnocchi recipe, too. Is that traditional? Because I um, once did that, right. and I thought I was being so... You, like, know, you, you, you know, you were, because sweet potatoes risque. are not something that really Italians eat. Okay. They don't really... And, you know, over the past 20 years, with the amount of immigration in Italy that's mm. happened, both from Africa and India and uh, various other places, Chinese as well... Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a huge change in the kind of ingredients available in Italy. Yeah. I mean, I'm stunned when I walk around the market sometimes now. <laughs> there's plantains. There's Ethiopian berber spices. I mean, and this know. they already had a good amount of produce choices right. compared to other places. Right. But you couldn't. I mean, you couldn't find those things in Italy yeah. 25 years ago. Right. Right. Um, so who knows? You might find sweet potatoes in some of those markets. Interesting. But it certainly hasn't made its way into the Italian can. But again, gnocchi is such a, uh, you know, I know that I've seen pumpkin gnocchi over there. That's kind of classic. Um, uh, And like ravioli, maybe in like pumpkin. Pumpkin ravioli ravioli is a classic from a region called around Mantova. Often Um, with sage. Right, right. (laughs) Definitely. Where they, you know. But I don't know why you couldn't make a sweet potato filling, actually. You yeah. Know? <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Right. Oh, hey, this fall. Yeah. Um, so you say that there's no, like, you know, strict formulas really around pasta. But what are some flavor combinations that you think are good go-tos? So if, I notice you have, like, a penchant, which I really like, of spiciness and then bitterness and then... Right. Right. What are, what are um, some good ones? Well, obviously, tomato sauce in all its many acidity. Uh, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And uh, I personally, I'm not a huge cream person, so mm. I don't really like creamy sauces. Mm-hmm. I think I think 
they're good and you can fold a whole lot of different things into them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not really so no Alfredo. Yeah. <laughs> Alfredo. Yeah. No, it's not, you know, it's not that I don't like them. It's just, they're so rich. I can't yeah. really, I'll have a bite or two and I'm, I'm done. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, that kind of combination of a little bit of salty meat mm. with some kind of um, greens. I mean, the anelone that we do at Pork Soy now, which is the spicy lamb sausage and the turnip greens, mustard oh. greens, it's our number one seller. It has been for five years. It's like it's almost the pasta that's, that makes porcina. That's so stand out, too, because it's um, it's a combination that is. I guess unusual to many palates and right. Well, I took it, I made it. You know, sausage and greens is a really, really classic Italian yeah. thing. Pork mm-hmm. sausage, and I had merguez kicking around one day, mm. and I was just like, "Well, why wouldn't this work?" And it was so, so delicious. Mm. Um, that yeah, I knew it had to be on the menu. And I'll <laughs> never dare take it off. Now, when it comes to seafood, uh, I already talked about my salmon and swordfish little thing there, but uh, most people think of clams only, but you have recipes that have oysters in them, you've got shrimp, you've got, what else, all kinds. Um, Well, you know, Italy's... Mussels? Yeah, Italy's a peninsula surrounded Mm -hmm. by, by water, so... If you can fish it, if it's there, they will probably mix it with um, pasta. The one thing that I was really stunned by, and I don't actually think we have, we might have a chicken, olive, and lemon pasta, which is kind of a play mm. on the Moroccan uh, oh, the tagine, tagine of chicken, of chicken right. preserved lemon. There was really not any chicken, chicken pasta. pasta dishes. And I was like, that's really, like, why is that? I don't, I mean, duck is in a pasta. I've seen goose pasta ragu. I don't I've know. seen almost everything, but very little. And I couldn't get anybody in Italy to really say why. You know? I, I got to <laughs> say, I was at a talk once where Mark Bittman uh, was introducing this food app or something. And one of the most uh, searched um, on Google recipes w- had the words keywords chicken and pasta. Right. And he said there is no chicken and pasta <laughs> dish or at least none that is good. <laughs> right. Well, it does tend to. I mean, chicken's not a great I suppose chicken thighs, you can braise them the way yeah. you might duck. But, but it's, it's not as good when it's overcooked and braised. Right, yeah. right, right. I have no idea. And, and then you have lobster. I mean, that's a... Right. You have I more mean, flavor there yeah. coming uh, yeah. from the juices than right. chicken. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've been a chef for 20 years and mostly cooked Italian food. And definitely you start playing around with stuff for a multitude of reasons. Mm-hmm. I think we started making an oyster risotto because we had too many oysters in house at one hey. point. We're like, oh, this is good. Okay, let's make pasta with oysters, you know? That's perfect. Um, and why never cheese, though, with the seafood? Or did you, well, you hold firm to that? I don't completely. Again, I go back to what makes you happy, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, Italians definitely don't combine cheese and seafood as frequently as, say, the shrimp, the, the French, right? Uh-huh. At the same time, it's really not forbidden. There is mozzarella and anchovies. Um, hey. In Puglia, they make these kind of 
uh, layered dishes with they'll have mussels and vegetables since there'll be cheese in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not again, it's not a hard and fast I rule. Like that you know? <laughs> yeah, a little dusting, sprinkle of if that's you know on top if that makes you happy, like go for yeah. it. Yeah, you know that can hurt. Right. All right. Well, I can't wait to try a whole year's worth of pasta thanks to this wonderful book. <laughs> Good. Um, thanks to you and your mom. Hope she's doing well. She's absolutely great. And uh, and also Michael Harlan Turkel, who uh, worked on the pho- photography. Yes. Did a fabulous, fabulous job. Fantastic. Well, everyone, check out Four Seasons of Pasta from Avery. And um, thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you for having me. We'll see everyone next week on Eat Your Words. Took it so slow And I, I I've been so satisfied No, I ain't never, never, never Never had no loving like this before Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.